You're listening to Co-op Mood, a casually serious conversation about playing video games. This is episode 11, David Cage Remastered. It's hammer time. I'm Sally. (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Sally T. And I'm Shane. You can find me on Twitter at Mundangerous. <laughs> you get me every time. I made I made good on my threat. You did. Um, I didn't think you were actually going to do it. I didn't either, to be honest. And then there I was doing it. Um, okay, so we start each episode with a piece of news from the video game world that we want to talk about. Uh, we have a fun one. Shane, do you want to introduce our news item this week? Yep, my favorite type of news item, an announcement about a future announcement. (laughs) Uh, This is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog's 30th anniversary in 2021, uh, and it will be (laughs) marked by the release of new games and other major announcements. Uh, This came from Sega. Uh, They're planning a year of celebration for their mascot hedgehog. Yeah, so you heard it here first. We're breaking news that there's going to be announcements about Sonic the Hedgehog in 2021. This is, I, I mean, the, this is the year of announcing announcements. Like, NVIDIA did it, AMD did it, Nintendo did it, Sega did it. Like, yeah, the, tell me tell me you're going to tell me something later. I love it. I, I lap that up. <laughs> it, it is now news to say that uh, we are announcing a thing is going to happen, which is like the story of the PS5 uh, pre-order, as we talked about last time. <laughs> right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, this is pretty fun. Like, we were talking about this before we started recording and immediately went down, like, a nostalgia rabbit hole of, like, how much we both enjoyed playing Sonic the Hedgehog. So, yeah, like, th- this came along with an infographic uh, that that talks about how big of a franchise that Sega is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it's $6 billion of revenue in 30 years. Uh, 92 million games sold. The movie was a $300 million box office, which given how many times they had to visually redo Sonic because he was terrifying, like that seems like a lot. It does. It truly (laughs) does. Um, And then like, yeah, like it made us think about what it was like to play Sonic back in the early days. Like I had an NES. Um, My uncle had a Genesis. And the first time I played Sonic, it was like, whoa, next gen. You know, like you felt like this game was different. This wasn't Mario and like just a general platformer. Like this one, like the word you used was momentum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it had inertia to it. (laughs) Yeah. It it like, so we also had an NES that was actually our first console was Atari 7800. But then my brother got an NES. But then the first console that like was mine was the Sega Genesis. And I'm pretty sure I wanted it just to play uh, Sonic because the commercials like when he's just like flying through the air grabbing those rings and the rings make that like really satisfying little like mm-hmm. dingy sound and then you get hit you got to go like chase all the little rings around the around the stage yes. to try to get some back so you don't die oh my god <laughs> and like I was thinking about how like I was saying before we started recording that the only other game where I felt like that movement and traversal is so kinetic is the amazing Spider-Man on uh, PS4 where you don't, it doesn't, you don't even care if you're good at the game. It's just so fun to like throw up your webs and swing around. And it was kind of the same thing for me with Sonic where, you know, playing Super Mario Brothers could be really frustrating because it was actually like an incredibly hard game. But with Sonic, it, and so if you weren't good at it, you would be frustrated. But Sonic, uh-huh. it's like, who even cares if you're good? Because you're just, you're flying around, you're rolling around, you're doing the flips, you're hearing the ring dings. What's not to like? So all that yeah. is to say, like, I'm into this. I I don't understand what platform it's going to come out on. <laughs> nope. I I don't know anything about this. Though it does this this article that we have here also has a link of like what I assume is a current gen Sonic game which looks gorgeous. Yeah, that does look really good. Like it it reminds me of what those stages used to look like, just rendered in 3D and I assume it's, you know, the same kind of 2D platform gameplay. Yeah. But like the lighting, like the, you know, the 3D uh, modeling on it like mm-hmm. it's cool it's great like yeah. so this makes me want to go back and actually find a controller <laughs> to play sonic with i know i i could get really into playing some sonic i a lot of times going back to play games i've loved like many 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 consoles ago actually just isn't fun like I, sometimes it, they those games feel unplayable mostly because I just no longer have the reflexes to like be good at them. 
but I feel like Sonic would hold up and be pretty fun. Yeah. So anyway, I guess be on the lookout for more announcements in 2021. Yeah. So the news is that Sonic was really fun for us and there are going to be announcements in 2021. Okay. So it's a great time to move on to what we're playing right now. Uh, Shane, what are you playing right now? Uh, so I just finished Fahrenheit, which we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have played a lot of league. I'm now I've played, I've played a lot of league, uh, like hundreds of games of league now. It's, it's a problem. Now, are you playing only with the same group that you always play with? Are you going on and like, cause you can be matched up randomly, right? Yeah. I also play solo queue as well. Uh, cause I, I feel like I, I, our group is kind of mixed in terms of skill level. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I feel like when I queue on my own, I match with people who are of similar skill level to me and it's a better kind of test of where I am. Um, so I like, I started doing ranked matches as well. So I'm like in the middle of my placements Ooh. to find out how good at the game I am. Um, spoiler, probably gold. What does <laughs> that mean? Like, like uh, I think that's like top 30%. Uh, wow, that's maybe good. Platinum. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly where it lands, but um, like, yeah, it's uh, like I'm I'm a dirty, filthy one trick. Like I only play one champion with any type of quality, so I'm trying to fix that as well. But uh, we'll see. That's it's, this game takes a lot of reps, is what I've learned. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, what it sounds like. But I'm I'm impressed. <laughs> I feel like you're on your way to becoming an elite leaguer, and then you can have a um, you can have a Twitch have a, channel and stream. Yeah, and stuff. I'll have a Exactly, a Twitch channel, an esports org, uh, you know, uh, uh, an energy drink. I'll be, I'll be toasting the good life. Oh man, I would, I would totally get into a Shane branded energy drink of some kind. Uh, so, if I were going to have an energy drink of some kind, I would attempt to uh, get the rights from whoever made Tropic Thunder uh, to Booty Sweat. Nice. Okay, we'll be on the lookout. Another announcement for 2021 is Shane, <laughs> TM, 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 booty sweat, energy drink. Exactly. Um, <laughs> what have you been playing, Sally? <laughs> uh, so I have played a little bit of a really fun game called Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, which is, uh, it's so it can be played couch co-op, but you can play also with uh, Steam Remote or Remote Steam, whatever it's called. Uh, and what it is is like a little uh, space shooter where you uh, you and up to three other people pilot a very cute pink spaceship and it uh the, each the spaceship has a bunch of stations there's like the the station to pilot there's the station to control a shield there's cannons there's uh, another like there's like guns and then a big old cannon and basically what you do is you run around controlling different stations as you fly through space and rescue i think they're called like cosmic bunnies or space bunnies the whole vibe is like extremely cute lots of like pinks and purples lots of uh you know in in true me playing a casual co-op game i did not pay any attention to the like exposition in the beginning of the game but <laughs> something about uh rescuing space from not hate but anti-love uh it's just it's very it has a really nice gentle vibe um and it's it's really fun um i just played it with our friend ray and I, it made me think about how one of the important aspects of enjoying a casual co-op experience is playing with someone who uh, it is cares a, a similar amount to you do about mm -hmm. as you do to like how well you do in the game, you know. Right. <laughs> and I think that like Ray and I both care like a medium amount, like okay. you know, we care enough to try. Um, and to, you know, accept the premise of the game. But I don't think either one of us was heartbroken that we turned out to be also kind of medium at it. And we, you know, it took us a while to like <laughs> progress. Um, and I think that that is like an, an under talked about aspect of enjoying your co-op experiences because um, it's one thing to be outmatched in terms of like playing with someone who's like much better at the kind of game you're playing than you are, which happens to me all the time. But if you're playing with someone who like cares more than you, or I guess cares less than you do, although I haven't come across that myself, um, it really impacts the uh, experience of the game. So all that is to say, get Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, play it with between one and three other people who uh, care as much about playing video games as you do. 
and have a lot of fun. It, it was on sale on Steam for like $6. I think it's usually like $15. Um, mm-hmm. I would say pick it up and get into it. It's really, really fun. I, I will say I love when games like that go on Steam sales because like they end up selling like, you know, two to five copies to me instead of selling the one copy for $15 mm-hmm. or zero because I'm just not going to play a game that really needs co-op to like benefit. Totally. Um, like, so I like, I like those are the types of games I like seeing go on those deep discounts. Um, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> it's good that it's good that you found somebody who's not try hard in a dangerous space time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess if there was anyone who identified as like an elite pro, uh, at this really, really cute game that is like full of bunnies, uh, you'd have bigger problems than being at, uh, not matched well. <laughs> hey, sorry, uh, cutting in here before we start our main segment, uh, just wanted to let you know, we forgot to mention it in the episode itself, but we are going to just completely spoiler Fahrenheit Indigo Prophecy. Uh, if you're really not into spoilers for 15-year-old games, might have to sit this one out. Yep, we are going to spoil it up, down, and sideways. So skip this episode or enjoy. All right, so let's talk about our main topic for for this episode, which uh, is also the game that both of us played all week for about 11 hours each. Uh, the game is called Fahrenheit. Uh, in North America, it was called Indigo Prophecy. It came out in 2005. Uh, It's a Quantic Dream David Cage game. It was remastered in 2015, and we both played the remaster, and we both played on PC. So one thing that I think is really interesting about this game is if you look at its Metacritic score, the original has like an 85% like positive and like an 8.3 user review. Mm-hmm. The remaster is 61% positive <laughs> and a 7.6 user review, uh, which makes this an interesting game uh, from a legacy perspective. Cause I think like, as we talk about this, like it was ambitious. Um, it didn't always land it. And getting a remaster means that people are revisiting a game from 20 years ago or 15 years ago that like, has definitely been iterated and improved upon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I, and that was a fun part of this for us, kind of, you know, playing it together, uh, like at the same time, but playing it separately so that we weren't, you know, like literally playing the same game. Mm-hmm. Like it was fun to kind of be like, hey, did you notice this thing <laughs> that like has desperately been improved upon since then? <laughs> like, yeah, I think especially if you're someone who plays a lot of uh, like these, this kind of like adventure game, which is like, I mean, I don't know if you would call this a point and click adventure game or or what, but it's like, uh, it if if you're someone who plays a lot of these, something like a hybrid of like visual novel, point and click adventure game, whatever, um, you're seeing, it, it's like you yeah, you're seeing the thing that has been iterated on and improved on so much that it's led to some of your favorite games, and you're, you're yeah. playing the thing that like, um, you know as you're pointing out from the Metacritic reviews, like at the time was like pretty considered to be pretty mind blowing. I mean, it seems like it was kind of a critical darling actually. Right. It's almost like it's one of those things. I don't think it was super popular in terms of sales, but it was like kind of a cult following of like, you know, it it launched David Cage's star as a director of video games, I guess. Totally. And when you Google around and you read old reviews, like critics were like breathlessly, exclaiming the cool interesting things about this so let's like let's get into it and we're going to kind of talk about the game from a few different perspectives I think though that with Indigo Prophecy the (laughs) the thing that you really have to talk about first is the plot uh well (laughs) we could talk about the tutorial first (laughs) oh the tutorial yeah Uh, David Cage makes himself very easy to make fun of i don't i don't yeah (laughs) that's one way to put it (laughs) the man takes himself so seriously and if you if you if you read anything that he's written about his process or games he's made you know he's just so high on his own supply that Mm -hmm. it's 
you know, that that uh, characteristic in someone always makes me roll my eyes. But the fact that he is so into his own process around his art when so much of his art is like just very medium or very mediocre makes it even kind of more hilarious. And I think nothing illustrates that more than the tutorial of this game. But Shane, can you just like tell tell the people what this tutorial is? So the tutorial is David Cage speaking to you, a crash test dummy, on like a, a sound stage, like for a movie production, um, describing this game as though it were produced as a movie, um, and then giving you like all the tutorial options. So you walk around, you run, you like open a door, you climb a ladder. And then my favorite part is you get to do a QuickTime event in which it gives you no instructions None. as to how to execute the QuickTime event where you get run over by a car several times until you figure out what these on-screen symbols mean. <laughs> I like, failed that QuickTime event so many times that I eventually Googled it and it, uh, figured out how to do it and also saw when I Googled it that the game was a lot easier to play with a controller. So I hooked up my controller and restarted it. And from then on, that that's what I did. Did you play with your mouse and keyboard? I played mouse and keyboard. Yep. Um, which I don't know. It was fine. Like I, I assume that those like the controls would have all been on joysticks instead of being like hit, you know, WASD and hold the mouse button and like swipe your mouse, mm -hmm. but whatever. I got through it. It was fine. Like that was not the source of my frustration was an inability to do the physical dexterity. Yeah. Well, I, well, you know me and mouse and keyboard. It's definitely, it's, right. a, it's a pain point for me. <laughs> sure. Um, but like the, yeah, I mean, if even in the tutorial you're considering rage quitting because you can't fucking figure out, I mean that, cause that's the thing about the tutorial is that, uh, for me, it wasn't that I knew what I had to do and I just couldn't execute it. It was like I it took me so long to understand what I was even supposed to do, which for a right. tutorial is it's basically failing the objective of the tutorial entirely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Okay, so yeah, okay. enough enough bag in the tutorial. So the plot. Uh you start as Lucas Kane uh in a bathroom of a diner. Uh, where you will commit a murder, <laughs> um, you will stab a man to death uh, while you have some strange visions. You then have to like clean up your mess, leave the diner, and escape in a cab. Uh, you immediately switch perspectives then to the detectives who are called in to investigate this murder in a diner bathroom. Uh, Carla Valenti and her partner, Tyler, I don't know, he gets a last name, I'm sure. Tyler Miles. Tyler Miles. Um, and then you end up changing perspective between the two of them. You interview witnesses, you look at the crime scene, whatever, right? Um, the, the game kind of unfolds from there with like Lucas doing stuff, the detectives chasing him down. They, you know, get a composite sketch from a witness. Uh, Lucas goes to work the next day and continues having weird visions. Um, he ends up seeing a medium who like puts him in a trance, I guess. And like, he then like kind of, accesses his memory again, finds out that he was manipulated by a person who approached him in the diner. Um, meanwhile, like another murder happens in a laundromat, which gets four different names, none of which are laundromat, uh, which I think is maybe just a translation. Like I Must think they be. call it like a lavamatic and a laundrette. <laughs> like, yeah, they kept saying these, laundrette. That's true. Yeah. Like he kept giving it this like very French sounding translation to English, uh, which is fine. Um, but then it, it all culminates with like, uh, you're interviewed in your, at your office, which you're like a bank IT manager. Um, and like they track like a piece of paper that you were using as a bookmark. It's whatever. It's all kind of goofy, but they end up tracking it back to Lucas Kane. The cops like go to his apartment. They find like weird ritualistic stuff in his apartment. Um, Meanwhile, you run into your ex-girlfriend, uh, <laughs> which you're like rekindling, I guess. Like you've just broken up, but then like. I guess you sleep together one more time or you don't if you miss the cues, Sally. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> did that. But it got I got to avoid a weird sex scene, so I feel good about that. Yeah, yeah, there's some sex scenes in here. Like you spend like anyway, it all culminates in like Lucas is walking into his apartment into basically a trap set by the police. Um, they walk up to him, like try to apprehend him at his door and he goes full on Neo from the matrix doing backflips, Kung Fu. Like he literally like jumps over a helicopter, like backflips onto a subway and escapes, uh, like an elevated subway car. Um, and 
now you're in fucking crazy town, <laughs> right? Like, like he goes, like finds out that like the spirit medium is dead. Um, he like ends up learning that like there's this whole Mayan sacrifice ritual that he's a part of. He like tracks down like a specialist uh, in Mayan civilization who tells him this whole thing about like an Oracle and another world and like this Mayan God of a snake with two heads and this whole ritual involved. Um, Like he's like the one survivor of like being chosen by this ritual because you're supposed to kill yourself at the end of it. So there's no witness. Um, Anyway, you find out like there's like the secret world order, like controlling cabal called the, uh, orange clan um and then like so he like sets out to like go kill the oracle and like they use his ex-girlfriend tiffany's like bait and then they both die but he's resurrected by um some something and is told he needs to go find the indigo child which is like this magic prophet that's supposed to like undo this like mayan ritual or whatever it goes bananas bananas like you you track down this kid uh along the way carla like the cop just fucking falls in love with you and decides that like she's just gonna help you like whatever she's bought into this crazy pants theory forget being a cop married to the job who puts away bad guys like she's (laughs) just like i want lucas kane and i want him to succeed so like fucking whatever uh tyler like the the cop who's also the only black person in this uh leaves like just Fucking takes a train to Florida. Uh, meanwhile, the oh, it's called yeah, Fahrenheit because yeah. the temperature keeps dropping. Um, like it's like a record cold wave around the world. The world is literally freezing to death. I guess that's a byproduct of this ritual. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense as to why that's happening. Uh, whatever. You find the kid. You fight the Oracle. You kill him. You escape uh, into like the underground. And then there's weird flashbacks to your childhood on a secret military base where you're exposed to some strange <laughs> magical fucking whatever um uh chroma that's what it's called yeah. you're exposed to chroma nobody knows what it is no one knows what it does it's magic it doesn't matter uh anyway you end up like having to take the child back to the chroma if you reunite the child with the source it completes a prophecy and then you'll have all the power of the secret of the world you can undo the orange clan oh there's an ai there's an evil ai that gets thrown in at the last minute that's who resurrected you they're called the purple clan I don't know, man. You fight them both at the end. You put the kid in the in the chroma, and then you get a happy ending. And if you fail in either one of those fights, then you get a sad ending, <laughs> I, I guess. So if that sounded totally bananas to you, let me tell you that that was actually the most like succinct, clear way to describe how this game unfolds. It has a really promising, like the, the first scene certainly is really promising because you you wake up in the bathroom of a diner um, and like Lucas Kane, you're trying to understand why you committed this murder. And uh, and then you proceed to like follow Lucas's investigation while the cops are follow or while the you follow the cops doing their own investigation. But, um, you know, the, the uh, so Lucas, who edits our podcast, had said about this game, like it starts out cool, but it the wheels kind of fall off. Um, and as you and I were playing it, you are, you got like, I, I was like ahead of you, I think for the first couple hours and then you totally lapped me. And so the whole time I was playing, I was like, oh, is this the part where the wheels fall off? And you're like, no, 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 that's not it. So, which is to say the wheels fall off and then they fall off again. And then they just like keep falling off because this is like David Cage has done this thing where like when a toddler wants to wear every single piece of his favorite clothing at once, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, you dude, you can't do that. And that's what he's done with genres. He's like, he wants, he wants every single genre. He wants every single reference. Um, and it, 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 I, I've never played a game where the end is so divergent from like the second half is so divergent from the first half. It's like a different game. It starts out as like this cool, like noir detective story of this, like kind of, like weird dark ritual is involved in this murder. You're tracking a killer. Like you are the killer who doesn't know what's going on. You're trying to figure it out. Right. So there's like that desperate cat and mouse where you're not innocent, but you're also like trying to understand how guilty you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. And then like, then David Cage was like, you know what was actually really cool though? The fucking matrix. <laughs> you're Neo now. See ya. <laughs> like, and like backflip over a fucking, uh, helicopter like, right and, and now we're playing a different game and then and then he does a thing where then you know he throws in mind civilization and then it's like 
this whole this kind of whole other game and then he introduces a macguffin which is the indigo child and it's just like how did we get here um oh and then there's an ai like a third bad guy to get thrown in of like why do we need them here yeah it 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 is a wild wild creation um so what we thought we would do is we would like kind of go through the the things about the game that we think are kind of uh, significant in terms of like understanding the experience of the game. And then we'll talk a little bit about the like legacy aspect. So the first thing is uh, we want to just talk about the gameplay uh, just to kind of make it clear, um, just really truly like how you're making your way through this story. Yeah. What what do you get to do here as a player? Because this plot is something else. <laughs> God, it really is. Um, so you you play as Lucas. You can play as Carla, who's the cop, and Tyler, who's her partner, the other cop. You also like get to play, you kind of play as Lucas's brother Marcus for a scene or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you play as Lucas uh, as a child a couple times. Um, and in the very in the beginning, you kind of can switch between the characters at any time. And then through and then as you progress further, you uh every time you finish. A, a character's scene, you get to choose which other character you play as. Um, but you you are always going to play as all the characters. You just, I think what will happen is you'll get scenes in like different orders and stuff. Right. Um, the game has 46 chapters and each one is is short. I would like to say that a strength of this game, um, I mean, it may take you a long time because you may fail absurd QTEs like constantly. Um if you're in a scene and it's becoming weird and tedious, it's okay because it's going to end pretty soon. Yep. Um, also, that's helpful because there's lots of checkpoints, lots of continues. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of keeps you moving. And then, yeah, so you're seeing this investigation from all the sides. And then the other thing that's, I guess, kind of a like, I don't know if it's, it's like a mini game within the game is that you have like a mental health meter that is uh, basically that you 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 can go from like like wrecked is like the lowest on the mental health uh, meter. And what what's the highest? Is it? Uh, I don't remember. I know like anxious is like probably the second highest. That's mostly where you stay is like anxious. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like wrecked, overwrought, depressed, tense, anxious. It's all these words that are yeah. like kind of. Uh, Cognate or yeah, sy- synonyms. synonyms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so you have to keep that up, which you can do by uh, having a drink, having some food, watching TV, peeing. So, I mean, anything else to say about the gameplay, Shane? I think that's kind of the the main the main stuff. Uh, there's also lives. Um, oh yeah, can you explain like, that? Because I actually don't really understand how those worked. I'm not sure either. So so well so the actual gameplay, like you're you're. Physical interaction with the world is mostly like controlling a third person camera and like walking about different environments and interacting with objects. So in that way, it's like very much like a point and click adventure game. But all the action Mm -hmm. is covered by quick time events, which is the screen tells you to press a button. You press that button. Um, These come in basically two two types. There are the um, smash two buttons repeatedly as much as you can. And that's sort of the physical exertion. Um, and then there's like the Simon Says game, which like pops up literally like a red, orange, blue, green little pair of of dials uh, and points in two directions and says like, okay, so that means I have to hit like left, left, right? Or I have to hit left, right on the two sticks or in, in a you know mouse and keyboard, it's like I have to hit A and swipe right. Um, and that's supposed to mimic like your action in the scene. It comes up on the center of the screen. And you can only absorb the action from the periphery. Um, and so, like, you don't even get to really watch the action scenes as they happen because you kind of have to just pay attention to waiting for these QTEs. Um, mm-hmm. So I think how lives worked is when you fail a certain QTE in a fight, it will take a life from you. And that prevents you from having to, like, redo the whole fight, right? So you can lose lives in fights to keep progressing, past failure uh-huh. okay. um, i know this because in the final fight uh well the final fight with the oracle uh or the rooftop fight with the oracle like the you know the climactic battle um there's a point where you have to run away by smashing two buttons which i think that's the shoulder buttons mm-hmm. on a controller but it's like a and d on a mouse yeah. and i'm literally sitting there with two hands on the keyboard smashing this as hard as i can 
Uh, and I failed twice because I just couldn't get it quite high enough, long enough for the right period of time when it checked that I had done it. And like, I just fell off the side of a building because by the way, I was running on the side of a building. <laughs> yeah. The, the QTEs that use the shoulders or, or for you, the, what did you say it was A and A and D, um, were really, really, really hard. I failed them a lot. Like it was, um, there was, there was a scene where you're in a boxing gym and you're doing oh uh, yeah like you have to presses. warm up for a boxing match by doing like <laughs> by doing heavy yeah, bench like presses that, that makes sense <laughs> it makes a total sense you'd you your arms and chest would totally right. be ready to exactly. throw punches after doing some pumping out some heavy reps but uh i failed that a bunch of times because i mean i i would take my controller put it in my lap and just from the top, try to hit the shoulder buttons because there was no other way to like yeah. do it fast enough. And I yeah. would still fail. So the QTEs were, um, you know, pretty, uh, distracting because of the Simon says things that are just like on top of your screen and also hard. I switched the game to easy. Uh, yeah, I, I played it through on normal. Uh, and I, I wonder if I would have enjoyed it more on easy just because I would have gotten to watch the game. I mean, we're kind of getting into like what it felt mm -hmm. like to play it, but like, to be honest, like the Simon says screen, um, meant that I had to focus on a thing that wasn't the big dramatic visual that was occurring, which was the fight. Mm -hmm. Um, so like imagine playing God of War and in, in like the scene where you're climbing up Poseidon to stab him in the eye, like instead of getting to watch Kratos stab him in the eye, which you've been working towards for like. I don't know, nine iterations of the game, you have to stare at the button, <laughs> the button indicator of what to press at the right moment to do the stabbing you can't see. Yeah, you're, you are truly missing out on the action that you've been, that you've earned your way uh, to get to the entire time. It's a strange choice, which, you know, has been improved upon many times, which we'll yeah. talk about in a, in a, yeah. in a little bit. Um, I think you touched on it the front half of the plot when it's really just a detective kind of noir investigation is really cool. Uh, I found mm -hmm. it a little tedious that I had to go like have a drink of water or pee in order to manage my anxiety bar or like I just switch characters and I have to start by showering and getting dressed like fine. <laughs> like don't really enjoy that. It didn't add anything to the experience, but I guess it was a, a realism thing but overall like that was a compelling like the reason i didn't like it was because i wanted to go to the investigation i wanted to keep moving forward because like this is compelling like i want to figure out what's going on with lucas and I, as i'm carla like i want to succeed at this job as i'm tyler i want to do whatever i need to help carla succeed at her job <laughs> totally yeah the the like the front half is really good uh it I, you know, I like these kinds of games where you're doing completely banal everyday things. Like I was telling you about in Beyond Two Souls, there's an entire scene where you're just preparing for a date by like cleaning up your apartment. Uh, and you're like, which part of the apartment do I clean up first? Um, which I am totally into. Like if, if like when I talk about that game, I'm like, it's so cool. Like there's a little scene where you clean up your apartment. <laughs> So like, I don't mind all that shit, um, of like the showering and the peeing and the, and the putting on and the putting on clothes. But I have to say that like, it doesn't feel good to do that stuff when the game starts to go off the rails, because then truly at, at a certain point, you're like, I'm just trying to get through this thing. Please stop making me do these banal yeah, everyday yeah, tasks. Exactly. Like you want some momentum in the plot at that point and it doesn't always For recognize sure. that you've got it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, um, you know, when, when you start to realize that the, well, I, you, you know that there's going to be something like sort of supernatural or a fantastical element to the murder because in the diner, you know, you see that Lucas Kane is in kind of mm -hmm. a trance. So you know that there's something kind of hanky going on. Um, when he goes to the medium and you find out that there's some kind of like otherworldly thing going on and, and it pinpoints it a little more, I was like, okay, I mean, I wanted this to be a little bit more noir and a little bit less supernatural, but okay, this is still yeah. pretty cool. But from there, it like about five different like sub genres of like science fiction and fantasy are right. tacked on. And, you know, and then you're like, well, this isn't actually what I right. signed up for. Exactly. In any way. And then, and then the AI gets involved and it's like, uh, 
okay, like I got that we were doing Matrix fight scenes in bullet time, but like, are we actually just doing the Matrix here? <laughs> like, yeah, and yeah, and at a certain point, you're like, oh, this, yeah. I one of the notes I wrote down while I was playing was like very Matrixy yeah, shit. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I, I will say though, like the first time you visit the medium, so one of the things that's like part uh or like shown constant like a constant through line is like ravens are in all the scenes where where lucas is mm-hmm. early um and the first time you go to the medium um like her apartment is creepy like there's a there's in the kitchen like it's <laughs> nighttime like the windows are open so there's like you know a draft on the drafty curtains and like in the kitchen there's a you know a box of matches and a knife on the table and nothing else like in the like the other front room it's just a bunch of bird cages with ravens in them and then you like go into her room and you meet her and it's you know like set up for like a, a seance or, or whatever um like mm-hmm. that was creepy as hell like so like and like you have to she's like i'll help you but first you have to feed my birds like walk me over there she's in a wheelchair so you push her wheelchair mm-hmm. one of the most awkward controls i've ever seen in a video game like her disco wheelchair that moves at light speed and turns with improbable physics is like very right. off-putting and like trying to push her through is like I, I hated it. It just felt super creepy because it was so disjointed with the physics of the game. Um, but then like you go and you feed her birds while she watches and like talks to you. And I was like, she's going to stab me. Like I'm going to die here. <laughs> this <Yeah>. sucks. <laughs> it was legitimately very creepy. And I have to say that there was another there's a jump scare that fucking got me where um, I think it's like it's a flashback or a vision or something when Lucas Kane is in his apartment and he looks in the mirror and behind him he sees the guy that he killed I jumped out of my seat like there's definitely some and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more but like atmospherically particularly before the game goes off the rails Mm -hmm. the first time um, it does a really good job of of just creating and it does and that sort of stuff like makes you wonder is lucas like is the you know is the ritual part of this real or is that also part of his Mm -hmm. imagination right because he is kind of seeing things and he's dealing with guilt and, and weird stuff and it's like it's not clear if that's solely in his head or if that's you know an external force and unfortunately it turns out to be an external force i think this game would have been better if it was all internal yeah totally yeah i mean you know that actually kind of makes me think back to the first third of the game where he's very um he's he's really nervous he has no idea what he did he's he's racked with guilt which is a lot more interesting than what happens later when he's kind of got it all figured out and he becomes a hero kind of well, he's also seamlessly. dead <laughs> like and know, he's dead like, <laughs> right asterisks <laughs> and he's dead um which is a weird thing so he he gets killed by the oracle when he tries to save his ex-girlfriend um and then like the next scene is carla walking up to Tiffany's grave, so his ex girlfriend's gravesite, because she was told to meet someone there mysteriously, and Lucas shows up, and like the comment is he's cold, like physically cold. He's also like just wearing like a t shirt, um, mm-hmm. and not like his trademark lopsided coat, um, <laughs> and it's like you know minus forty degrees or something, right? So like something is clearly weird about him, um, and that's when mm-hmm. like to me, like that's the second turn to Crazy Town where Carlo is just like oh, I got called to a meeting in a graveyard and then a guy that I know is dead shows up looking like a lot like a zombie. Um, I'm going to take her, take him to my apartment and let him sleep on my couch and now I'm completely in on his total nonsense, bullshit, supernatural Mayan theories. Like, whatever, we're going to go save the world now, I guess. Like, whatever. <laughs> Truly never has a, a like, a partnership and eventual romance been so yeah, unearned. I, it's that it's also, unbelievable. Oh God. Their, their romance is fucking creepy. Like he's a, he's a dead person. Like she he, comments that person. his lips are super cold and like they still sleep together. And I mean, this is the ending, right? They have a child who's exposed to the chroma in the womb. So they expect his child to be another like Messiah type like you know save humanity type or whatever uh it's so weird it's it's so weird it's just like i I, yeah it's it's so hard to not think about how david cage wanted to just tell a million different stories using a million different genres and just like just like kind of smush them all into into one game yeah so 
yeah, I guess like one other thing that I just wanted to mention about playing the game is that, um, and so I've, I've played every David Cage game except for one, his like very first game and something that, um, he tries to do in every game is he, he wants them all to feel like Mm -hmm. movies and he wants them to be experienced as movies. In fact, the title screen or the menu screen of this game, um, it says like new movie and doesn't say new game. It says new movie. He's, he's really leaning into it. Yeah. And so one of the ways that he has done that is by making the camera, it was like this in beyond two souls and heavy rain where you don't really have, well, that's not true. Okay. You, so you don't really have 3d perspective. You don't have control over 3d perspective. You have this, especially this way in heavy rain and beyond two souls. You have a couple of fixed perspectives you can switch between an indigo prophecy. It's the same, although you can, um, in, I forget which buttons it is on the controller, but you can like turn on a 3d perspective, but when you're playing and moving, you're, you're shifting between, uh, a few fixed perspectives. And I think that the reason he does that is to make it so that he can choose the way you're seeing the scenes so that he can, it looks appropriately cinematic. Um, and his games do feel cinematic, but it it's, I find it really disorienting. Um, the way the camera will sometimes just shift to a new perspective in the middle of like moving. And, uh, you are all of a sudden like facing in a different direction than you were before. Um, I found that like really annoying. I don't know. Did you, is that something that you noticed? I on did. Your so that's like, it's a classic film trope, right? Of like, you see a character walking out of frame and then the next cut is to the, the character walking into frame. Right. So you can get that sense of space mm-hmm. and like yeah, he tries yeah, to yeah. do that in there. But the thing is, if I'm holding the up like direction on the, on my movement joystick and the camera shifts, now I have to hold down in order to keep walking the same direction. So like, the camera cuts, it's the cinematic move, except my character just did a 180 because I'm holding the, the button the wrong yeah. way. Right. So it's like it's goofy uh to do that. And like, yeah, that that is a problem. I, I found the camera angle, like I didn't have as much trouble like tracking it um as I did like finding the right spot to stand in to like trigger the interaction option that I needed mm-hmm. you know like if I yeah. like like one example early on is like is Tyler finds the murder weapon in the trash in the bathroom but like I was mm-hmm. just stuck in the bathroom in the investigation trying to figure out w- what else am I supposed to be looking for here because I walked up to the trash can and it didn't pop up the first time so I thought okay well there's nothing to do with it like that's where I would have thought he right. put the murder weapon but like I guess it's not and then I had to like keep walking around until I got to the right angle the same thing happened in one of the stealth scenes as a kid where like I literally almost quit the game because I was running into invisible walls and in arbitrary fail states because I wasn't like pulling a brick out of a pile that I needed to be in a pixel perfect location in order to interact with even though I tried to pull bricks out of that pile because uh, it's marked with a big red X on the map. <laughs> like I knew it seemed like right. it was important, but like I couldn't find the thing. And so then I started failing a bunch. I had to like look it up online and move forward, which is annoying. So like the, the, the feeling of the camera does detract from the gameplay in certain places, which is kind of annoying. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that like, I, I think what makes some of his games cool. And I, I like, I've played heavy rain or at least the opening of heavy rain. I don't know the first half of heavy rain where like, it does all feel natural enough that you feel like you are kind of watching a movie, right? Like he, he kind of mm-hmm. perfected it to that point where like, yeah, like I more or less, like I walk up, I want to use my right hand. I use the right stick. I want to use my left hand. I use the left stick, you know? And like that stuff, like I know, mm-hmm. like I'm going to interact. I'm going to, I'm going to like, you know, right stick up, right? Like it always feels that way. And it mostly works. It doesn't always work in this mm-hmm. game. Uh, like it wasn't polished enough yet. And, and it's, it detracts from it. I totally agree. This is like, a, you know, he's kind of taking all of these these things for a test drive. And one of them is what he calls motion physical action reaction, which uh, it is it, just a way of <laughs> and par. Oh God, it's just a way. Empire. It's just a, a way of um, doing what you just described, which is that like if the motion to open a doorknob is you grab the doorknob with your hand and then turn it to the right, you're going to take an analog stick and you're going to push up and then pull it right. down to the right 
um, which, you know, does work really well in later games. Um, and I think Detroit Become Human, it's like the the best he's ever done it, where it um, it feels natural and you see the action after you do the thing. So you actually get to watch what the fuck you just yeah. executed. But um, in this game, like, uh, you know, between those MPARs and the camera angle, it can be very tough to, like, figure out what you're doing and then execute it. So... I also on that second stealth section almost rage quit. I was in, I was so mad. Um, and it's because of that thing of like, if you are a one thousandth of a millimeter, uh, uh, if you're not within a thousandth of a millimeter of where you're supposed to be, you just don't get the interact cue. Um, I also looked it up and I had to fucking watch a PewDiePie playthrough to like, that's, that was the sacrifice I made. I watched him play through the the stealth section the second one so i could um so i could figure it out but yeah so it's like i think that like one of my one of my like main takeaways of playing any david cage game is that the highs are high and the lows are very yeah, low i mean this isn't even asking the question of like is this empire concept actually fun to play because like i don't actually find it all that fun like the like sure it's realistic it it like it gets the feel across but like to me that doesn't actually enhance the game in any way like it's just like the weird right. quirk of it because to me like where the game like the fun parts of the game come in are QTEs um which I found like in this I found incredibly distracting like there's cool action happening like you literally have like a mid-air um like matrix like kung fu fight mm -hmm. right and there's like a, a the rooftop fight where you're like literally dodging um helicopters trying to like i don't know just <laughs> like cut you to pieces with their like chopper blades um mm -hmm. don't know how they're operating at minus 40 degrees by the way that doesn't quite make sense <laughs> good to me. question um but anyway whatever <laughs> um but like like so that is like this incredibly visceral action but instead my eyes are trained to the dead center of the screen focused on which colors are going to light up next and i can only right. experience this cool visual through the periphery which was the goal of this game um but actually doesn't feel good so yes they accomplished it yes it, i'm sure it would have been worse if it had been in like the bottom left corner uh but I still didn't get to watch the scene that I had like was ostensibly my payoff for doing this thing correctly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, the Simon says things on the screen feel like just an act of aggression on the part of the developer, <laughs> at, like aimed at the player. Um, the, the, the thing that about those, so Detroit become human, I think is probably the best use of the MPARs and the QTEs because you play as androids. And so the fact that you're making of th that a movement is broken down into a very mechanical set of maneuvers actually kind of feels like of a piece with you and the character you're playing. They're also like 150% less obtrusive in that game mm -hmm. than they are, um, you know, in, in this game or in even in heavy rain. Um, but, you know, as an Android, you have this, program that's telling you um that's like presenting you with your choices and uh, you see on the screen your android brain is analyzing what's in front of you and that's how you're making choices and so when you see in front of you the movement you're supposed to make to open something or do something like it it just makes sense it you know it it is more of a seamless part of the experience um which really works but you know outside of that particularly when it's executed so poorly like it is an indigo prophecy it really all it does is really subtract from it's not even like immersion it subtracts from like being able to like see what the mm -hmm. fuck is going on mm -hmm. in the game yeah um okay so uh should we move on to talking about legacy i feel like we're kind of already there <laughs> okay we wanted to like pick out some specific things that like games do a lot now that this game was doing. Um, and I don't necessarily know that like this was, you know, the first game to do it or whatever. Um, but it definitely, this game I think is like an early example of a lot of things that narrative games and point click adventures just definitely always mm. do now. Um, and I think the, the a big thing is the cinematic feeling, uh, the, the idea that you're like, 
You're playing a movie. I mean, to me, that's like the whole pitch for Naughty Dog games now, right? Is like Mm -hmm. they're action games, right? They're like action adventure games. It's not the same type of gameplay, but like the whole point is the fit, finish, polish, like gives you a cinematic type story and experience and like cinematic action. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like even, you know, in The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2, which is not a game where the menu is like, do you want to play a new right. movie? Uh, it it does feel like that. You you, but it feels like it in in a really good way and in a, in a right. not obtrusive way. And I mean, even same thing with like, um, I, I was watching some of the gameplay trailer for that new game, Immortals: Phoenix mm-hmm. Rising. Great name, classic <laughs> we're, name. We're th- three, <laughs> three words that don't deserve <laughs> to be next to each other. Um, and even that, like that movie or that movie, that game is not trying explicitly to be a movie the way um, David Cage games are. But you watch it and you're like, whoa, that has that's very cinematic, like the, the camera pulling back or sweeping or whatever. Like that, I think, has become an absolutely like indelible aspect of games, like kind of across genres. Yeah, I, I think his choice to reject the open worldness that was like, kind of characteristic of role-playing games and ps2 games because Mm -hmm. of the technology right like to to narrow that down to like a much more limited experience like i think is pretty important (laughs) um totally like it's certainly like like, again might not be the first but like i think a game that definitely proved the model of like this is an experience that people are into Mm -hmm. uh, in a big way in a triple a way um, like I, I, yeah, I definitely see that through line as well. Um, I, I mean the quick time events as like a major gameplay factor in narrative games, I think also like that's telltale, right? Like T- totally. Yeah. That's actually what I was just going to say is like QT. There's a, a few things about this game, about, fair, uh, Indigo prophecy that show up in telltale games, which are some of my favorite games, QTEs, um, stories from multiple, points of view Mm -hmm. and this concept of what David Cage calls bending stories. Uh, this is from, he did this like post-mortem on Indigo prophecy and on Gama Sutra that we can link to in the show notes. But, um, he says, uh, the idea of bending stories consists in considering the story as a sort of elastic band that the player is free to stretch depending on his actions. The story retains its structure, but the player can modify its length and form and thus participate in the narration. In reality, the story does not change diametrically from one game to the next. All that changes is the way it is told. However, the player can see parts of scenes and obtain different information depending on the particular path he follows. That is a telltale game right there. Um, Mm -hmm. That is like many, many, many uh, adventure games now. And I think that the way that what he calls bending stories uh, is described uncharitably is like, oh, it's just the illusion of choice. Like you don't really have choice. It's always going to end the same way. which I, I find to be a sort of shallow criticism of Telltale Games because the Telltale Games aren't trying to are, aren't setting out to tell you a completely different story if you make a different choice. They're setting out to tell you a story and then you get to choose what perspective you see it from. Right. And I think that bending what David Cage calls bending stories is does is a really elegant the way he describes it is a really elegant way of explaining that thing, which is a a common feature of so many games now. Right. Actually, you know, that's, that's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, cause it, it reminds me of how the endings play out. Cause, mm-hmm. um, Fahrenheit Indigo prophecy has three different endings. One is the Oracle wins. Um, so the orange clan gets their outcome. One is the AI wins. So the purple clan get their outcome and one is you win. So humanity gets their outcome. Um, and I like, you know, it's it's a series of fights, right? So if you beat the Oracle, then you face the AI. If you beat the AI, then you win. Um, and if you fail either of those, you get that ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found most disjointed from the rest of the way the narrative worked was, you know, I wasn't paying, like I was literally like, it was a cutscene. I was checking Twitter and I missed, <laughs> uh, I missed a QTE. So I failed it and I lost the game. Like literally, like I missed one QTE game over and I had lives left. I had gotten a continue any other time I'd failed a QTE. So the stakes suddenly changed from Mm -hmm. like, like you said, like kind of a bending story sort of, you know, 
progress or just restart to, to make sure that you get to where you're going to, oh no, this is actually the one that mattered. Sorry. Yeah, that like, is wild. Watch that this is epilogue. absolutely wild. Yeah, so I saw two. I like I ha- I don't know actually what happens if the um if the Oracle wins, but like I've seen the AI ending, which is the Matrix. Like mm-hmm. literally like the starting point of the Matrix. <laughs> People live underground fighting against an AI overlord. That's the Matrix. That's the ending. Uh and then I, I went back and like redid it so I could get the proper human ending, right? Totally. Um, and it's it, like it's to me, like that's one of those things where it's like you can do that, but you, you that fixed that fixed point to get to is important, right? Because the choice to make that a continue or a, a you know lose a life try again versus make that a like a valid a real choice a real outcome like actually feels bad in the game. <laughs> yeah, of course, especially when it comes completely out of nowhere. Yeah, with no warning, with no context, no like completely different from everything you've had before. Yeah, I after that happened, I. I think I missed, I wasn't on Discord. I wasn't like checking my phone. But when I looked the next day, there was like a wall of enraged text that was all had like the redacted spoiler tags yeah. on it. And I was like, oh man, some <laughs> shit went down in Shane's playthrough. Was, I would have been so mad. I, yeah, I was. I was like, I paid 11 hours of this game. Like, and then you tax me for checking Twitter. Fuck you, David Cage. I know. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I want to just say that I think that in my 11 hour playthrough, I would say that. 60 to 90 minutes is just redoing failed QTEs. And that is <laughs> yeah. including having put it on easy, that yeah. easy mode, like halfway through. I, I will say, I think there's a legacy of production quality in this game yeah. that yeah. Um, has also carried through in a big way. Like it's cool that AAA studios take it, take like the soundtrack and the voice acting and the mocap as seriously as they do. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's directly because of this game, Right. Like certainly that was done in some ways, but like that is an element of this game that was really pushed to like a high level. Um, you know, like the the soundtrack, like they got a a proper like Hollywood composer, composer. to like compose their soundtrack. They used a couple real songs. <laughs> um odd choice to use like nickelback knockoff band theory of a dead man, um, as you're like First of all, it's the music to the the first sex scene, um, which is, I don't know, I wouldn't put Nickelback on my uh, <laughs> like my bedroom playlist, but you know your mileage may vary. And then it was also like the theme over the epilogue, uh, which is just a just a choice. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I'm not familiar with that song or that band, but it you don't have to be for it to read as just incredibly cheesy. Yeah, it's it's super bad. <laughs> It's super bad. Um, but yeah, like the the soundtrack, the original music that is that was created by Angelo Badalamenti, who is known for scoring David Lynch's films, notably Blue Velvet and like Twin Peaks. Um, that that music was good. I mm. as I was playing, I was like, this is dope. This is atmospheric, like very well done. And you know, like you're saying, you know, the voice acting, one cannot play a David Cage game particularly earlier than Detroit Become Human, without mentioning the fact that he casts white actors to voice black characters and Asian characters, basically characters of all races and ethnicities and backgrounds. Um, And it's like really hard to not fixate on that. It's also really hard to not fixate on like the way he sexualizes women and the way he like um just the the way he tries to like in in really weird ways like tackle issues of like american racism and it's it he does it in such bad ways it's like dude this is not you're not good at you're not a varsity athlete when it comes to tackling yeah, american like white supremacy just like take it easy just stay don't in your lane french stay dude. exactly stay in your lane um so having said all that i i also think that like he he clearly puts a lot of effort into making voice acting an important part of the experience, which he also does with music and with mocap. Um, and like, you know, like Shane was just saying, like maybe he wasn't like the first, you know, game director to do that, but it's definitely his games are early examples of all of those things being hugely important parts of the design and production. Right. Right. So I, I think this is just it wraps up to be a weird one where like the legacy of this game, I think like 
is is real, right? Like it, it it it's a big influence. You can draw through lines to a lot of different elements of AAA titles today. Going back and playing it is kind of a slog. Um, it's, a slog. it's it's pretty rough in a lot of places. That like it it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's important, but it's not fun. Yeah. Particularly after the first half. I don't know if it's the first third or the first half. That's good. But I remember asking at some point, Shane, how close to the end am I? And I described where I was and you're like, uh, like two or three hours. And I was like, oh my God, I, how can this go on that much longer? I was convinced I was like really towards like the very end. Yeah. It turns out that most of the game is the like act five of the last of us two, like the coda That's that you, that so you true. just wanted to get to the end. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you know, and I'll just say like, for me, like someone who I have such an intense love, hate relationship with David Cage's games. Um, it's really, really interesting to like kind of track his like development as like a creator of games um, and doing it from Indigo Prophecy through Detroit Become Human. It's an interesting exercise. I I don't... Heavy Rain is a game I would say is like worth playing for sure. Indigo Prophecy, I would say maybe just like read the... I don't, I don't even watch a playthrough. I think maybe, maybe watch a playthrough of like the first third of it and otherwise just kind of read some Reddit threads on it. Yeah. <laughs> or just read the uh, Steam reviews. The negative Steam reviews are great. Actually, some the of the positive ones are great too. Yeah, the Steam reviews are absolutely amazing. Um, well, is there anything else we can say about Indigo Prophecy or have we kind of uh, exhausted I, uh, I'm exhausted thinking about it, yeah. so I would like to move on. Fair, okay. <laughs> This is the moment where we um, we die, get resurrected, and go on to finish our mission, which is uh, to talk about a thing we are excited about right now. Shane, what are you excited about? Uh, I'm excited about Defector, uh, which is the new sports gossip coverage journalismism site uh, by most of the staff of Deadspin. Um, so Deadspin's staff resigned from Gawker Media Group, uh, I guess it's like a year ago now. Um, which is a pretty, like Deadspin has always been sort of one of those like very liberal sports media sites that like recognizes the intersection of sports and politics and, um, kind of calls out the media, like sports journalism, um, for the way that it kind of suckles up to power. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's always been sort of like, you know, um, thumbing its nose at, uh, at like powerful sports figures, um anyway so their staff banded together started a new website called defector um it launched uh just a few days ago um so it's free to view right like any of their blogs you can subscribe and support them in a couple different ways they have some merch and stuff so um i'm just really excited to have that back i thought their voice was sorely missing from sports in the past year and uh like i felt like i was less informed about what was going on. And also I cared a lot less about sports when they were gone. So I'm excited to have them back. Um, though it was nice to have a year, (laughs) a year to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm totally psyched about them being back and, and on the scene, just like a bunch of like really, really dope journalists doing cool stuff. Uh, what are you excited about? Shane, I am excited about the ABC television series Stumptown, which I stumbled upon by on my Roku TV searching for Jake Johnson because so, sometimes you wait, just that's that's the guy from um, New Girl from New Girl. OK, yeah, <laughs> because sometimes you're like, what I need to do right now is watch Jake Johnson something and what that something is, is immaterial. Um, I landed on this show Stumptown. Um it is also starring Kobe Smulders. Um, from uh, How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Or I guess most people probably know her from S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess. I didn't know anything she was in, but uh, I'd never heard of her before. But but yes, whatever Shane said. Um, it also stars Michael Ealy, Cameron Mannheim, um, and a bunch of other actors who I hadn't seen before but who totally rule. And um, what this show is about is um, Kobe Smulders plays a character named Dex, who is a military veteran. Um, She takes care of her younger brother, 
in Portland. Um, and her best friend is Jake Johnson, who owns a bar. And there's a cop who's played by Michael Ely. And Cameron Mannheim is also a cop. And it's basically about... Um, so if you liked Veronica Mars, Shane, have you seen Veronica Mars? I have not, though I feel like I'm about to be chastised for that. <laughs> I, w- I will never chastise um, for not having seen or done a thing. However, I will say it's one of my favorite shows. This is like if Veronica Mars was like a grown-up uh, and uh, what season four of Veronica Mars tried to do, I think Stumptown actually does really well, which is like you have a wise, cracking, tough talking, but heart of gold lady detective. Um, and it's just, it's really fun. Um, it, you know, every episode has like a kind of mystery that Dex is getting to the bottom of. Um, it takes place in Portland and Portland plays a really big role in the show. I wonder how people actually from Portland feel about it, but as someone, um, who likes a TV show where the setting is like a character, which in Veronica Mars, it very much was and Buffy, it, you know, and so on. Um, I, I really like that Stumptown is really also like the, the city as a character. Um, anyway, so I hope that this show isn't widely thought of as like really cheesy because I had never heard of it <laughs> and I have no context for it. So for all I know, I'm recommending just like an absolute like cheese fest. Um, I've watched like maybe 10 episodes or eight episodes um, of the first season. I think there's only one season. Uh, it's on Hulu and it's it's a delight. So uh, I would like to recommend it. I'm excited about it. I think it's perfectly fine to fall in love with cheese. I still enjoy Burn Notice as a spy show. <laughs> Wait, can I tell you like Burn Notice, uh, I have to get back to that because I started watching that and then for some reason like fell off. But I remember it being actually pretty great. It's it's the perfect kind of show to just like put on and watch six episodes without paying any attention. Right? I mean, pretty great. Not like Sopranos, but like, but yeah, like, but for right, what, like what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For, for, you know, for a show starring uh, Ash from the Living Dead. <laughs> That's it. I think we did it. We did it. Please rate us and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can join us on Twitter. Uh, tweet at us at Co-op Mood Pod with no punctuation or follow me, Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can follow me at Sally T. And you can also email us at coopmoodpod at gmail.com. Tell us uh, what you thought of Indigo Prophecy. And you can find us and other great gaming podcasts on the OneShot Network at oneshotpodcast.com. Co-op Mood is produced by Shane and Sally. Edited by Lucas. Our music is Pixel Squirrel by Espresso Music. Logo design by Emily Cardamus.